Today's episode is episode 181 of Unconventional Humans Podcast. Today I'm joined by Caroline Grace Cassidy. Caroline's been on the podcast already before. She's an Irish film and TV actress and she's a writer and a screenwriter. She's got seven books, seven novels uh, published. On today's episode we're talking about her latest novel which is called, it's a long title, The Unexpected Love Story of Lexi Byrne, aged 39 and a half. So I read this book, we had a conversation around this book. Enjoy talking to Caroline about it. It's a topic that I wouldn't probably be having many conversations around if I wasn't talking to Caroline today. So it's, it's a lot of the book is about this idea of a woman, Lexi Byrne, who finds herself at the age of 39 and a half and she hasn't found a man yet. She hasn't conformed to societal norms and she's holding out for I guess you call them the one she's holding out for an actual connection in a relationship rather than just settling for anybody so that's what we're talking about today talking a little bit around the process of writing the book and I think at one stage we started talking about uh, popularity of crime why is that so popular so we just had a bit of a conversation about that as well so that's it hope you enjoyed today's episode and thanks again for listening Okay, so thanks for joining us today, Caroline. Thanks for having me again, Dennis. I enjoyed our last chat immensely. Yeah, it was a pleasure to have you back. Uh, you've got your newest book out today, or not today, this year, last yeah. few months, uh, Lexi Byrne. So congrats on that. Could you just you. tell us maybe a little bit about the story? Yeah. So, um, yeah, this is my eighth novel. And I sort of wrote it during maybe three weeks into the first sort of lockdown. And I had had a completely different idea. I was going to go a very dark story. And uh, I just thought, oh, do you know what? I just want to be in a pub. I just want to be in a packed pub with loads of people. I want to get on an airplane. So all the things that I couldn't do, I put uh-huh. into the story of Lexi. You know, it's just about physical contact. Like she works in a really busy supermarket. You know, she's really close to her best friend. Um, you know, she meets this guy in, in a really packed pub and a stranger. And, and during COVID, the thoughts of being around a stranger was terrifying. So I just it was just complete and utter escapism for me as a writer. And I thought, well, if I'm enjoying this escapism, you know, maybe this is the way to go and just make it a really easy, light, fun, hopefully <laughs> read. You know, do you say it actually there is quite a stark contrast to the storyline in the book compared to what we experienced during COVID. She, she met Adam as well in the packed pub. And mm-hmm. uh, just before we start, actually, with the, the dark story, you have a storyline in mind or that you're going I was to go going down? To write, yeah, I was going to write a story about a very a lonely woman in her 40s and what that real life is like, because I would have a lot of friends who are lonely. In, in their 40s and they don't want to do tinder and they don't want to do all these you know how you're supposed to they want to go into a bar and meet a guy and uh, because they're all heterosexual if they weren't they'd go meet a girl but that's mm. all they want to do and it's like that world isn't really here anymore so it's trying to find I was, I was going to write a story about a woman who's sort of lonely and can't really find her place in the new world that is all apps and all you know this is how you sort of meet somebody 
And yeah, that was the road I was going to go down. And I had a couple of chapters written about her and she was called Lexi Byrne as well. But she was very, very different and very insular and not sure really that she was ever going to have anybody bar her cat because the, the cat stayed yeah. in the book, but that she was ever really going to have other, anything other than a pet for company. And, and that, that was the route it was going. And then COVID hit. So I am. Um, I changed it. That's interesting. That that is the polar opposite in many ways to what you wrote. But it's the same same crux around the uh, woman approaching her forties. Well, Lexi's approaching her forties and this dilemma of being single in your forties and what that means about yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm fat because you know it's my I'm in my forties now. You know, and I'm not single, but. I have a lot of friends who are single, you know, and like I just said there, it's just a very, it's a completely different world to what I knew, you know, as, as a dating world or as how you went out and met somebody. And, you know, one friend in particular who'd been in New York for 15 years and came back here thinking in her kind of at 33, 34, maybe thinking, oh, I'm going to meet somebody and I'll say, I want to be in Ireland. I want to bring my kids up in Ireland. And she's looking at schools and, you know, like just mapping out her life. And then you come back and, and you just don't meet anybody. And then suddenly it's like, oh, shit, really? You know, I but I, I had the schools picked and I knew where they were going to get, you know. And so I think women, not generalized, but, but a lot of women, I think, do have think a little bit further ahead, you know, because we are the procreators, you know, we are the ones who 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 do give birth and, and you know, who do have to think about the timing around all that. Mm. And now, because, you know, we finish school at 18, which is actually your prime years to be having children. But, you know, thank goodness we don't because it is too young. But, you know, you work for a lot of years and you're in college for so many years. And then when the time is right, sometimes it's just too late, you know. So I wanted to kind of explore that as well and why, you know, why society, why why women are in are in the situation that we're in where, you know, we're expected to work, work, work. And then 39 comes, oh, get a man. Oh, have a baby. And, and you know, you're waiting your whole life not to get pregnant. And then, you, you know, mm. the, you only have a very, you've only got such a short time then, not just to have a baby, but to find a life partner. You know, and I just think it's unfair that we're supposed to find a life partner so quickly when, and then it's all because of your biological clock and it's because society, you know, we were putting all these boxes and I don't know, I just wanted to, I'm just very interested in women around this age. Yeah, it is interesting. Like, like the woman there who's like planning everything that's actually within your control and you're missing that one vital fundamental piece that's completely outside your control. And I suppose this book in some ways, well, delves into that. The fact that Lexi, she decided she wasn't just going to settle for anybody. I think that would make it a bit more controllable if you were willing to settle for anybody. But if you put it out there and you're like, I'm not going to settle, there's a certain element of that that's very outside your control and, and you have to make peace with the fact you mightn't find that person. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think, you know, that, so the, the Amarie character, who's Lexi's best friend, is there to kind of to show the other side of it. So, you know, Amory is obviously is 42 now and has just met somebody and is desperately trying for a baby. Like it consumes every, her every waking thought. Whereas Lexi, she assumed she'd probably have kids, but, but she hasn't. And it's not that, you know, she's not craving children at all. I think because she doesn't have that inner want that Amory does. I, I do, I did write Amory purposely to kind of settle for a guy, but that's okay. You know, I'm not saying mm. there's nothing wrong with that. There are two people who want the same thing. They kind of want to get married and have companionship and have, bring up children, but they don't have that. You know, they didn't have that, you know, just 
amazing chemistry that Lexi is able to hold out for because she doesn't have this primal need to have children. You know, so she and she's happy on her own. You know, she's got a great social life. She's a job she really likes. She's got everything. So why just go and, you know, marry the next available guy? Because society kind of says you should, you know, so she's mm. not going to do that. And it's funny at the same time, like Lexi's primal need wasn't to have a baby, but it was to meet somebody where there was chemistry there. But then and Marie's primal need was to have a baby. So she had that struggle then to actually try and make something happen again. That's there's only a certain amount you can control there. There's a lot of things you can do, but it's not up to you at the end of the day either. No, and also, you know, again, it's this, you know, I would have a lot of friends who've gone through IVF, but it's this case that time runs out on women, you know, and we don't see it. You know, you, you're just expected to do all these brilliant things and have the brilliant career and don't, you know, sit at home and go and work. And, and then suddenly it's like, there's no time left so you're going down all these routes of IVF and whatever and 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 then because there's not enough time it becomes all encompassing because it's tick 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 I'm 41 42 I'm 43 oh my god god. and there's panic ensues you know and I and and that panic ensues either because a you haven't got the man to be the father or you haven't got the, the, the ovaries left but you know there is men don't suffer this 40 something crisis in the same way that women do for sure. Yeah, there is bio- biology there, right? For the woman, that's more, uh, there's more weight on. You know, I do still, I do feel like men struggle depending on their awareness around what they're hearing and listening to day to day in the culture around them or who they're around as well, comparing them to their friends and oh, yeah. Thing, I mean, you know, no, Dennis, don't get me wrong. I, yeah, I think absolutely they do, but I just think that the, the primal knowledge that you are, you know, are the person that has to be able to give yeah, birth yeah. and to conceive, you know, like men getting conceived into their sixties and seventies. So that part, you know, isn't, isn't there for the man as much as it is for women at that age. And they don't get asked, you know, oh, you're 42, oh, you know, like as if oh, time has completely run out for you. That's not, that's not a case for the man. So I think for some women who have, had that picture in their head all their lives of the the husband and the picket fence and going on holidays to Nurka with the kids and blah, blah, blah. When that suddenly becomes, that's probably not going to happen. You're probably not going to have a baby. Then it's when that, that, I mean, I have friends who've done 13 rounds of IVF, which is not only really dangerous, um, it's taken every penny they have. It's all they think about, all they talk about. And it's dreadfully sad. But if somebody had, you know, if they'd really sat down in their late 20s and gone, this is how much you are going to want to have a baby. This is what your life is going to be consumed by. You're going to be going to Turkey, to Lithuania, to, you know, to all the, I think women might just think a bit differently about how they sort of live and not wait until mm. sort of 38, 39 to try and see if, you know, if they can conceive. What do you think is stopping people from having conversations earlier on? Is it a lack of maturity and foresight or is it just a culture isn't that way inclined or? I think I just think I think like we don't see women here really having babies in their 20s anymore. Very, very, very few, you know, mm. really very few. So, you know, you finish in college in your 20s, you know, you're studying, then you're going into the workplace and you're working. And I think we just have this idea that around 35, 36 is when you should start to settle down. But biologically, that's really tough for a woman. You know, like the primitive years, or your primary years to have a child are probably 18 to 24, five. Like physically, mm. that's yeah. the time. 
I'm not saying that that's right because, you know, I think it's far too young, but I just think that there should be just a bit more awareness of the later you leave it, the hand for some women, they don't want children all. And that's brilliant. But, you know, for the ones who do, and they do leave it that late, I just think it's worth having the conversation or writing about it just so, you know, someone picks up the book and goes, geez, I'm 35, but like, I don't want kids for five years. You know, you can't just say that flippantly. I don't want kids till I'm 40. Your body's old. You know, you, you are older at 40 and it's very hard to conceive. So I just think the more aware we are as women that that, you know, that that it may not happen if you leave it till 40, I suppose, is was the side for the Amory character that I wanted to explore. I suppose you're heading into, well, we have been heading into uncharted territories where it was more the norm to get have children when women were younger. Now it's older and it's very easy to assume that when I become 35 or 40, I'll just have kids like that. But I think maybe having conversations a few years ahead of time, at least that, that element of surprise isn't there then when something yeah, doesn't go to plan. A little bit, like even in the, the Bride Squad book, uh, two books ago that I did, we're writing the screenplay for that. But like the girl in it, you know, uh, is 42 and is in full blown menopause. And she just like she was went through perimenopause without even knowing that she was in perimenopause, you know. And I think the conversation around menopause in Ireland, especially over like sort of the last 16 months, sort of 20 months, has really taken off. You know, Joe Duffy did a show that lasted five days with like just thousands of women ringing in going, oh. That's what I have. No. And like just not being aware of the menopause at all. And the fact that women can go into, again, just to tie into the, I'll wait till I'm like late thirties, early forties to have kids. Women go into menopause in early forties, you know, they do. But again, it's not talked about. We rarely, you know, talk about perimenopause, which can happen to women in the late twenties and thirties. So again, it's just trying to just just talking about it, I suppose, you know, just the more that the conversation is written in a fictional book or it's talked about mm. in the radio. I just think the more we are educated as women about our bodies, the better. Just coming back, I suppose, to Lexi there, I suppose another thing that was quite interesting was that because she didn't have this emphasis on having a child being the most important thing, she had a flexibility around Adam having a stepchild or having a stepchild that mightn't mm. be there so much in a person who's adamant that they want their first child to be their own. Mm. Mm. So that was interesting. It's a, uh, it's a funny one, you know. I My sister had married somebody who had a child, so I was always very aware of, you know, how women react to women, because it was my sister, but to other people's children. So, yeah, it's very interesting you bring that up, because it happens more and more now, because we're all marrying sort of later and later, this idea of the blended family or, you know, just different to what our traditional family were so I think to answer your question I think had Lexi had a kid I don't know I just feel now that women in their 40s or coming to the 40s meeting guys it's not a shock if they have previous marriage if they have children you know I think it's kind of almost if you ask someone did have you got kids and they say no it's almost like oh <laughs> I, got, I got out of that one yeah. but it certainly isn't an easy thing to go into a relationship with somebody who has a child you know it's it's not it's it's difficult and especially then if you have your own child because you know as you say it's just it's not your it's not biologically and physically your child you can love the child and do everything but there's always going to be that dynamic that you know if you have your own child that you're not the actual mother but whereas like Lexi if you go into a relationship and it's just 
you know, him who has a child, I think that relationship becomes very different because you can be much more maternal in, in a fuller scale if you don't have any other children of your own and, and, and have a fantastic relationship with the child. Yeah. You know, it's an interesting dynamics. It's different decisions. I suppose really getting clear in what you value yourself as well, maybe beforehand can help with these things because I've often found when I haven't thought about these things, opportunities kind of present themselves and you're kind of cut in two minds. And you're like, don't really know how I feel about this. But um, mm-hmm. by having these discussions beforehand, you can get clear on like what. So like that, for example, does it matter to you that if you did meet somebody who there's great chemistry there, that they had a child, are you willing to uh, take that as something that maybe, I don't, don't think the word compromises, in a way it is a compromise. Like if you have it in your head. You're not like getting somebody, the full, yeah. 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 And are you willing to compromise that? I think if you thought about that beforehand, it would actually help you when the opportunity comes up then. Well, absolutely. I mean, yeah, that's the thing, you know, and in the book, she's looking for this dream man. And, and funny, you know, I, I should have put that in there, but, you know, she doesn't ever think about him having anything other than just being free and being mm. fabulous and her wanting everything. But I think, you know, when she meets this guy who chemistry, you know, is complete and utter chemistry, which is what she wanted, which is fair enough. You know, I think you can, you know, she never I've never tried to write the book that that's going to last forever. But I think it's what she she needed to sort of ignite this relationship was that idea that, oh, my God, you know, because she's such a movie buff and, you know, she's lived her life watching these really romantic movies. But, you know, so when she does meet Adam and she goes, you know, across the pond, think it's going to be a great weekend. You know, he's just got this awful baggage all around him you know he's got an ex-wife who wants him back he's got like he lives in a really small village so everybody knows his every move and you know what it's like when somebody knows everything about the person you're with but you barely you've only just met them and you don't know their name so I did try and pile all that on because in in real Mm. life that's kind of how those things happen if you meet somebody on one night and you go off to meet them and you know (laughs) <laughs> they they have a life you know they they also have baggage that's been left there but I just like the idea of also her falling in love she had been cheated on in the past you know but I like the idea of her falling in love with someone who was all, also had cheated in the past you know mm. something that she would have thought I would never you know be with be with a guy who cheated so when he sort of turns around and says to her well look I had an affair and that's why my marriage broke up I think what it does is it sort of showed her that there is no such thing as the perfect man do you know like it's not even though in her head everything else the way she met him and he hit her with the door and it was so serendipitous and you know and then then she kind of really strips away and she's yeah he's not perfect at all but he's perfect for me yeah but the other thing I found interesting was that he lives in England they met in Ireland like there's some people, probably myself included, if I meet somebody and I realize that they're living in a different country, it mm. kind of cuts me off from entertaining the fact that there'd be something here. Was that intentional yeah. that you yeah. wrote it like that? Very much, very much so, because like that, you know, I've a lot of friends who are single and my God, you put the smallest deterrent in their way and they will give you the excuse why like they shouldn't see yeah. them again. Oh, he had brown shoes on. I mean, like, like, you know, all these silly things. And again, I wanted to... I wanted to delve into what a relationship kind of is. Do you have to live in the same house, first of all? Do you have to live in the same, you know, county? Do you have to live in the same country? You know, because you don't. Relationships can be completely, like I have 
two of the friends who I know, and I'd say they see each other once every three months and they're together seven years and they have the most fantastic relationship. He's a cameraman, so he's always away shooting stuff and, and she's based here. But there was one friend of mine who had met this guy on holiday and like that, she came back, she said, ah, there's no point. Like he lives in Belfast. <laughs> I was like, it's two hours up the road. Like, ah, yeah, yeah, no, but like, it's just, it wouldn't work. <laughs> oh, God. So, you know, Lexi says to Adam sort of near the end, you know, she was like, I don't want this typical relationship. I just want to see you whenever I can see you, you know? So it's so fluid and there's no rules, you know, it doesn't have to be, you know, you can just sort of make your own rules. And I think also it makes it exciting and living in the moment the, more as well. Yeah. But just living in the moment and just enjoying the person while you're with them rather than thinking, oh, that's not how a relationship works. Like we're supposed to go see each other every day and we're supposed to have dinner together and we're supposed to <laughs> yeah. you know, like it doesn't matter. I just think, you know, all these boxes that people feel that they need to take, like my friend meeting that guy in Belfast, for God's sake, see him once every three weeks and, you know, go away and for a weekend or do whatever. You know, it's about the person. It shouldn't be about the geography of the relationship. Yeah, I think all those, like, all those, like, compartmentalizations we have in our mind about a relationship, it actually gets in the way of connection with that person. Totally. Yeah. yeah, I think, you know, like you're saying there, you know, you meet somebody and, you know, they're from whatever, where, wherever, and you just immediately go, oh, it's not going to work. So that's not you saying that. That's society, you know, in your yeah. head telling you, oh, like, what would my mom say if I was going out with a fella from Finland? Like, I'm never going to, you know, but like, we live in a different world. Look at us, right? We're talking now. You may as well be sitting beside me. Now, obviously, I know the physical, you, you, you know, to actually see somebody there, but it's still a pretty darn good way of being able to communicate. And then when you do physically get to meet each other, it's even better. Like, you know, it's fantastic. But I don't think we give, we give ourselves enough opportunity to meet people because we put all these barriers up immediately and go, oh, that won't work, that won't work, without ever trying it. And like I said to you, like that couple that I know, honestly, Dennis, they've one of the best relationships I've ever come across. And they very rarely physically see each other you know so that's what went like actually part of that book where I was going to end the relationship with Lexi and Adam and just just leave it you know and it it had just run its course over the weekend and she kind of accepted that there was too much going on you know but now that we're talking about this how we put obstacles up I just thought no because it's the wrong message to give out to people then you know if you really like somebody you'll make it work. You know, you should, because it's very, like Lexi's waited 40 years to try and meet somebody who she felt this connection with, true humor, through everything, just how they both think and act. And, you know, it isn't easy to meet somebody who you're, you sort of feel that connected to. So when I, when I sort of played with my head, I said, no, I think they should make it work, but in their own terms, you know, and, and the end of the book sort of, they haven't seen each other in six months. You know, I purposely did, you know, six months later, whatever. And it's Christmas and they're going to see each other again. But, you know, they've been talking all the time and Mm. they've just been living their own lives as well. You know, I think it's different, obviously, if you're very young and they'd had younger children and all that. But that's not how this relationship was. It's an older relationship. It's a more mature relationship. And, you know, it's two people who both kind of just really want to see each other on whatever terms they can. Yeah. Well, the good thing about it, like more unconventional relationships is that, you know, the people in the relationship have put a lot of thought conscious thought into how does this actually work and they also pay attention to 
connection, the feeling, like the, there has to be an awareness of like connection there. If you're willing to compromise on things that, that like your culture or where you grew up said you shouldn't compromise on and you shouldn't even think about. Because the other thing I found interesting, I suppose with her going to England was that Anne-Marie was saying like, giving the vibe that she's being desperate and that can put doubts in your mind. And especially when she was actually holding out for the one she connects with, she was the opposite of desperate in her own mind. So what I found interesting was how she went to England, despite, I suppose, somebody who's really close to her, putting that sort of level of doubt in your mm. mind. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, interesting because I think, you know, Amri can come across as a bit jealous there, but she's not like, you know, I mean, if mm. anybody sort of said to me, well, listen, I met a guy in Stag's Head on Friday night and going over to see him, you would immediately be like, you know, you don't yeah. really know him. Poor so, really. you know, yeah. So I think Lexi was just willing to take this risk. She felt that connection. Like there's that word again that you've used connection that I think when you really feel it, I think there's a trust there, an automatic trust with somebody when you really, really feel this connection because it's a guttural thing. Mm. You know, it's in your gut. So it's not like just meeting some guy and it's whatever. Like this is eye contact. This is this was, you know, a meeting of minds. So, you know, when Amory says, you know, it's kind of desperate. It hurts her for sure. You know, it's like, you know, because they end up they do end up having a fight later on. It comes back and it doesn't leave Lexi's head. But I just think she knows herself how she feels and she trusts herself that actually this isn't being desperate at all. This is like, this is someone who I think I could have something really special with. Yeah, no, I, I did feel like it was coming from worry. And then I found it was good because I would imagine that would be what a lot of close relationships would be like. Initially, you have that worry that this person could be going off meeting somebody they don't know and and I suppose it gets you second guessing. Was that connection real or was it imaginary? Imagine yeah. imagining all this stuff or was it actually real? Was a substance behind it? Yeah. And, and again, I suppose, you know, you do have to throw caution to the wind a little bit when you're, yeah. you know, when it's something like it's something that exciting and that, you know, raw and new and because you can't tell exactly who another person is, but like you can trust your gut and kind of, you know, really just, just feel, I think, that, you know, when you just meet them for the first time and you just kind of get them, like, you know, that they're decent people and that, you know, you're not in danger, I think, you know, and even though, yes, it's risky. Yeah, well, is it really? I mean, A, they were going to a hotel the first night, so not particularly, you know, as you could kind of suss them out, but she was she was going regardless, I suppose, is Lexi's mm. problem. So, yeah, I think she was just, she's nearly 40 and she was just willing to uh, to risk it, you know? Well, the thing is, it's, it's it's as risky as going on a date on Tinder, like, and, we, and that's become acceptable today. There you go. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's people every night of the week who sit down in a restaurant and have never, you know, seen the person before in their life. They know nothing about their background apart from what you've been told on this, which is, you know, yeah. God knows what the hell that is. And even like who you're, you know, who you're meeting sometimes, I've been told, they don't they don't look like the person who you think that you know you're meeting so i mean all, a lot of tinder is so based on lies whereas i think when you meet somebody in the flesh and they're just there it's just yeah it's it's banter and it's real you know and you're not i think with tinder sometimes everyone's just trying to be somebody else you know or, or the best version of themselves or the fakest version of themselves and i think with lexi like by meeting somebody in a bar 
you know, and actually having a connection with them was too good to sort of pass up. So, yeah, she just said, I'll go for it. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good message. And this wasn't practically in terms of writing the book. How long did it take you to, to write the book? Um, I suppose... I suppose I wrote it in about six months, I'd say, but I um I spent a long time editing it because we're locked down and we had a lot of time to edit it. So that's the chapters are very short I, purposely because I wanted it to feel very pacey. So like some yeah. chapters, you know, are only like a couple of pages and I sort of titled every chapter with a romantic movie of some description. But yeah, why did the, you go with that? What was the draw? Yeah, to the... I just think I, you know, for me, a... I watched Dirty Dancing about nine million times when I was 16. So, you know, I kind of got, you know, when you're that age and someone like Johnny Castle comes on screen, you're so young and you're just you're just learning about love and romance. And ah, it's kind of it did floor me, you know, for, and for years we'd go like two or three times to the cinema to see it. But I was trying to the impact that films have on younger women. And, and oh, yeah. how that trains their brain to what they think they want in a man. Well, that, or how tight, they... uh, that ties to Lexi too, doesn't it? As in like she yes, has this romanticized yes. idea. She has this, yeah, you know, she has a romantic connection to Johnny Castle as well from Dirty yeah. Dancing. But it's just, you know, there's a scene in Dirty Dancing where they finally dance and like it's a, it's the Latin music and it's, you know, the visceral chemistry and it's just fantastic chemistry on screen. But when you watch that as a 16 year old, and you're waiting for it. <laughs> it very rarely, you know, happens. And, you know, so that's why I did, like, I have all the movie titles, like About Last Night and Dangerous Liaisons and, you know, all these just very powerful connective movies with the female and, and male lead. And everything, there has to be a part of the chapter that links into that particular film. Yeah, I was going to say, did you write the chapter and then think about the title that connects with the chapter? Yeah, so the, yeah. I wrote the chapter first and then I go back and think what could be, you know, like about last night obviously comes pretty easy because, you know, yeah. she's telling Anne-Marie the next day about last night. But so there was a lot, believe it or not, of research that went in to try to find the exact films, you know, that would, if you're really analyze, if you were really a fan of the films, you would see why it was, it was a chapter. Okay. Okay. Then obviously Dirty Dancing is the last film and the last chapter because she actually gets to do her baby dance with Johnny on the floor of the of the Maurice Hotel at the very end, which is like her dream come true, you know? Yeah. And it's a little bit of a of a, a nod and a wink and a, you know, just to the readers who love Dirty Dancing, you know, if you did love Dirty Dancing, you know, you totally get that kind of the ending and it's so schmaltzy and, you know, it's just, it's just so dreamy, I suppose. Would you, would your core audience get those connections in, I guess? Is it? Well, you know, I had this battle with my editor all the yeah. way through because I had a dozen more Dirty Dancing reference in there. She's just like, I've never seen the film. I just don't get it. I was going, I know, but people, I want people to read it to get, you know, I want people who love Dirty Dancing. It's, good, but it's not a big enough audience and people, that many people have seen it. So, yeah, that was a battle. If I had I had my way, it would have been way more very niche towards that that market. But uh, no, I, I couldn't. I had to take out a lot of the kind of one liners and the, you know, see, in, in an early version of Lexi, she, you know, she was absolutely obsessed with the film in like a kind of a weird, <laughs> in a weird way. So I had okay. to kind of go back and just make it a bit more fun loving. But uh, 
Yeah, I mean, you run the risk of isolating readers at times when you mention any film or book or TV series. And like, I have something in that book about Cagney and Lacey. And again, there's like, nobody will have heard of Cagney and Lacey. But I'm going, well, some people might, and I'm keeping it, you know, but mm. most of your editor will try and get you to take out any references to stuff like that because they are personal, I suppose. But I like to, I think people who read my books are very like, me and think the way I think and kind of you know like all the messages I've got been like oh my god I love dirty dancing oh my god it was so so I did connect with that kind yeah. of dirty dancing audience you know this was the interesting dance between you and the editor is it like considering yeah. what can be taken out and what you wouldn't want taken out Do you know like early on I would just be like yeah 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 and now I'm like no 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 so it's yeah is that because you have more you have a body of work behind you now that you've got more leverage? Yeah, I think you feel that you trust yourself a bit more, you know, whereas the beginning yeah. you don't trust yourself. And you're I mean, you're always I think every writer has imposter syndrome in some way, shape or form. You know, I think all of us, Marion Keys, everybody, Marion Keys say, oh, God, this is so bad. So, you know, it does take ages to kind of trust yourself to go, no, actually, I, I can I can write, I can do okay, and try and get your editor to trust you as well. But at the end of the day, like, they are looking out for those kind of things. I'm saying to specifically take out, you know, anything that you think a reader might not like or might not have seen, you know, or, or might not have heard. And, you know, like the music, there was some music in it as well. And we fought a lot at the end because they danced to the time of your life, which is the last song in Dirty Dancing. And I had got permissions for like a good chunk of the lyrics. She's like, but nobody knows what this song is like. So I end up only getting like, now I've had the time of my life and I owe it all to you. And I had got loads more in it. So that was a big battle. But then I had to sit back and go, OK, imagine it's the end of the book and you really don't know that song, you know, because it was so personal to me. And mm. um, so she she won that one and I took that out. So it's kind of a lesson to and um, I suppose it's not about the writer, it's about the work, the work you produce. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think the more work you put out there, the more personal it actually becomes, funnily enough, because I think mm. in the early days when you're writing, and I say this to people who want to write and would ask me how you write, you don't really think anyone's going to read it. Mm. You know, you just think I'm going to write it and put it in a drawer. And and then when you get in, when you do get a published, it's like, oh, but then as you go on, you're so aware that the public are going to read your work. So you become a very different writer because the beginning, it's much more introverted. It's much more personal. And the dream and the hope is that, oh, imagine I got published and people could read it, but you don't really, but you're writing for yourself. You're not writing with that awareness really. Whereas when you mm. actually have a contract and you know that book is going to appear on a shelf in Easton's and Dubray and wherever, then you kind of connect as you're writing the piece, you will connect better with your audience because you know, that's why sometimes I have so much admiration for people who write and don't either self-publish, they just put it away because it becomes very hard when you just feel you're the only person who's going to read, you know, know the story, you know, when you don't, when you know there aren't people waiting out there to read it, that can be difficult, I think. Do you think... Uh... The awareness builds over time. I think you could start off as a writer and 
you don't really have this general awareness of how other people think or how they could potentially perceive what you're saying. And I feel like that can be where you don't really even get the choice for it not to be personal because you don't really have that much perspectives maybe on how other people might be reading it to begin with. Yeah. I mean, you're freer for sure. And like, there is something very liberating about writing and just thinking that nobody's going to read it because you can say and do pretty much whatever you want. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no, there's no expectations on you. There's no, it's just, it's just you and the, and the novel, I suppose, are in the book. But then when, but there's also, there's a drive that kind of comes in as a writer when you know people are waiting to buy your book. I think there's a certain drive that just, A, makes you write faster, but also maybe it's because I've written so many, but you start to, with the feedback from other books, you start to, you know your audience, I think, and you kind of know, like I think we talked about this the last time on my fourth novel, I just wrote this really dark dark novel called already taken about this girl and her sister was dying and it was really dark but like a lot of the feedback I got was like oh that that wasn't a Caroline Grace Cassidy book you know so it's and you can either be very snobby about it and say oh that's my book and da, da, da. but you know if you're clever and you want to keep your audience in your market you go yeah actually that wasn't you know that's not what I suppose I'm selling as a brand you know and it's funny there was um we're talking about women's fiction in this genre the other day because so many friends and colleagues have put books out over the last kind of four months and they've all just died like and not apart from not even to do a COVID but we're kind of coming up with this theory now that women mainly women are buying crime like never before like women used to buy sort of middle of the road like women who'd buy my stuff fiction you know heartbreak books and but now you know, it just seems to be really light reading, like what Lexi Byrne is, bit of fun, bit of chemistry, put it down. Uh, skip away from all the heartbreak stuff, skip all over that to crime. They seem to be the two. Big, yeah, yeah. But when, when I started out, women yeah. never, women bought, like crime would just, A, there wasn't half as much of it. And there certainly weren't as many female crime writers as there are now. I think I could count on one hand. I think it was Patricia Cormel. But now you've Liz Nugent, you've Catherine Howard, you've Patricia Gibney, you've, you've like, there's so many. So it's just, I think the fiction genre that it used to be here is the market's gone teeny tiny. Do you have any ideas on why that's happening with the way women are getting more interested in crime? I wish I knew. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's, um, it's macabre. I, I really don't know why. But like, even when I was going around signing my books, and 56 Days, which is a, a crime novel that's uh, sitting there waiting to read it. But Catherine's a fabulous writer. And people, women were just grabbing them, like grabbing. It's like, I don't know where this Irish compulsion to read crime came from. I mean, I, I honestly don't. It's bizarre. Do you? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like, I've never massively been drawn to it. I I know there's actually there's an interview with Ian Bailey tonight, which would be quite interesting, but oh, yeah. normally I wouldn't, um, I don't think I watched uh, the series about that murder. And, but I have noticed that there are a lot of people that are interested in that. Even at times, Even you know, the I, podcast, I be... all the podcasts about like, I yeah. have friends recommendation podcasts. They're all giving me murder ones. I'm like, I don't want to listen to murder. I just like, 
But yeah, and these are all my female friends. Like, oh, have you, have you listened to this one? Kill my killy, killy friend. Kill, 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 whatever. Like, it's just all about killing. I'm like, no, Jesus. In saying girls, that, I, I, I'd watch things all right um, every now and again, but I wouldn't say it's something that I have a real uh, fascination with. No. I'd have a fascination to the extent that you, I suppose you get inside the mind of a reality that you wouldn't want to live out, but you'd like to get a glimpse of Jesus, that's a potential reality, I guess. I mean, I don't know. Is it? Is it? Does it speak about the world now? The world we live in that there's obviously so 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 much crime and so much murder that there's the there's, the stories are there. Even the the documentaries. I mean, like the real life stuff, and then that triggers the imagination of the, of the writers. I don't know, but it's certainly a massive market. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I don't know. Always think like I don't a understand. Of, a lot of female writers that I know, like everyone's trying to, everyone's trying to do it now. You know, everyone's just like, I'm just gonna write crime. So I imagine yeah. it's not one of those things that you could uh, just lightly just recreate or something. Yeah. I mean, I know, like Claire Rapp, for example, would been like like me, women's fiction. She just went up. She's knocked out her fifth now, and they're like selling amazingly well. Okay. Anna McCartland's writing one, yes. Yeah, so I mean, obviously. Maybe women are just all mad. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> We're all mad in some ways. But the other thing is that I suppose it does give you a medium to express express this madness within you without mm. actually acting on it in, in real life. Yeah. True. Very true. Yeah. Very yeah. I don't know. It just it freaks me. Like I couldn't read that going to bed now. It would just be like, Oof. Mm. but obviously people, but see, that's the other thing. You know, people are just reading it as entertainment. You know, yeah. it's, it's escapism as well like yeah, a lot of it's, escapism. it's very i don't know i just for me i couldn't find that as, i couldn't switch off by reading words. well the other thing it could be is that i suppose our, our lives are so routine that that's chaos that's the opposite of routine is a uh, crime and things where like your whole so all the fantasies and delusions are like let run riot i think that when you're living a life that's so routine and mundane it is an aspect of within you that longs for something different and is a way of, I suppose, expressing that, I suppose. You must be right. I mean, yeah, you must ha- hit the nail on the head there. That's exactly what it has to be because mm. it's so popular and it's not like you can see any other reason for it other than, yeah, this is just something so different. And so unlike yeah. me or my life or like there's a thing on Netflix we watched last week called The Boarding House Murders halfway through it, I said, I have to turn this off. This is horrific. Like, it's just yeah. really gruesome. And, oh, I don't know. And then I'm not a big fan of promoting murder and, and like, promoting as in just putting it out there so much. Like, there's so much on Netflix that is about murder and women, especially women being murdered. And I don't know. I just, I I, I think in, in years to come, we'll look back at this sort of generation of, all these this obsession with the macabre Mm. and murders and we'll realize that you know it wasn't the cleverest thing to do i just mm, it doesn't sit great with me not so much the novels just just the amount of stuff on netflix about you know murders so the other thing i was kind of exploring was uh the idea of debt as in i think when you don't entertain the fact that you're not immortal that you don't actually live your life. You don't live. You get into this routine of putting things off that actually matter to you. 
not being yourself when you could be yourself with a bit more bravery. And I think that you're living in a society that anytime debt comes up, it's seen as morbid. So you can't really talk about it in a way that's actually healthy. And I feel mm-hmm. like you're, there's two extremes where you can obsess about debt or you can not think about it. Either way, you're not fully living, you're not fully being alive and well, living the life you want to live. Very interesting. Yeah, no, that is very interesting. I mean, yeah, I think you're right. I think you have to accept life for what it is, you know, and accept mm. what's to come and not try and, pardon the pun, but bury your head in the sand. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And yeah. And that's the healthy way to live, I suppose, is be in the moment. And like you say, don't put everything off or don't be afraid to do this because. And But it's not that easy to live in the moment all the time. You know, it's you have to feel you have to feel all the raw emotions and stuff. And you do, you know, and I think, you know, especially coming out of COVID, you know, the the amount of people with awful anxiety and fear and just the, the not knowing and like I was trying to say to somebody recently, I said, well, we've never known about tomorrow. <laughs> you, you don't know when he does know about tomorrow. But, you know, when before COVID, it was just like, oh, I'm going on holidays in September. And then suddenly everything was moment to moment. And it was mm-hmm. like, that was kind of really living at the time, you know, because you're just like, well, I'm drinking tonight or I'm I do whatever. Like early, early days when it was like something from yeah. a Hollywood movie, you know, you really didn't know where the wor- whether the world would ever it was going to implode there was a sense of freedom in that yes there was fear but there was also an unbelievable freedom that you didn't have to be anywhere nobody you know nobody could ask of you anything of you you didn't have to do anything for anybody else it was apart from your own little sort of bubble and circle so it was certainly very i found a lot of it just like Like someone had just literally taken a backpack off my back and just gone sit down there now for a few hours. Now, after a while, I wanted the backpack back on. But there was certainly a while where it just was very, uh, very freeing. Yeah. And fear and freedom like linked together. Yeah. Yeah. And you're faced with the fear like but like it's like. It was almost like being on a plane where the pilot's like, I'm not really sure why this instrument isn't working. You know, it's like, oh, well, I'm sure it's, I'm sure it'll be fine. You know, I'm sure I'm sure it'll be grand, but um, it might not be. So you had to kind of I remember when Brad came out that night, you know, a few was just looking at each other. Going, that doesn't, yeah. that doesn't sound great, does it? You know, like the first generation, you know, the first generations to ever have, well, Spanish flu and whatever. But, you know, but just in our lifetime to have anything so terrifying i suppose you know come our way and i think time will also tell in the next couple of years the real impact you know the real post-traumatic stress that will manifest in children who were sort of old enough to realize and then you know and and then the rest of us you know i think there will be a a big fallout from that yeah no there will be like if you look at any generation there's always something that happens I'm just grateful it wasn't like a world war. Yeah, well, that's the like, thing. Yeah, I was reading uh, something the other night, and it was sorry, can't remember. But yeah, it was it was all. Um, I was actually reading Maeve Binchy's "Light a Penny Candle" for a podcast, a, a book burst podcast I do. But it was all set in like the forties in the world. You're just going, Jesus, yeah. You know, you do, obviously you absolutely forget the horrors of yeah. that. You know, because you know we had something more you know we could see the impact of it but we couldn't really feel it unless you know tragically you had somebody who you lost to covid 
But other than that, I was kind of watching it from the outside and gazing in. I remember in Italy in the beginning going, oh, my God. But um, yeah, we still had our comforts and our food and our fire and our wine. And, our, you know, we'd all those things, whereas, you know, the likes of war is uh, is very different. Yeah. Mm. So where do you have you started writing a tent book now or where do you see the your writing going from here? I haven't. Um, so I'm still working on a screenplay uh, with my fellow writer, um, Lisa Carey, that we wrote The Bride Squad book. So we've been on that now, sort of we're working with a production company and we've been sort of rewriting and writing the last sort of eight months on that, which is it's such a different beast. The yeah, I was going to ask you, what's the what's it like writing screenplay? Like what's the big difference you see between writing a, a novel and a screen? Uh-huh screenplay it's so different Dennis it's mm. just so minute like you know everything it's like a regular screenplay I suppose nowadays about 95 to 100 pages right so that's a take bride squad as a novel which was say 320 pages so you've got to condense everything down and then you're telling no you're showing not telling as much as you can so you're trying to you know in a screenplay you write off this thing called final draft and you'd have like you know character and action and description so you're trying to show as much as you can whereas in the novel i could write 10 pages on the conversation so it's very different in that way and plus we're also writing inter like lisa's in la and i'm here so we're sort of batting it back and forward but it's um it's coming on well it's nearly there so no i haven't um i haven't really thought about the next novel yet and normally when your book comes out normally like you've got two week shelf space and then it's time to move on i've been lucky lexi's still doing very well and it's week four so i think when that happens you're kind of just sitting back still and trying to enjoy the fact that you've you know yeah. something out there oh, okay and you move on after that it's, yeah is it, are you only as good as your last book do you think or <laughs> last, well, <laughs> you know and you yeah. know they do take a long time to write and to edit and to put together and the covers and, you know, it's a year. It is like a good year and a half, I suppose, to get it onto the shelf. So I don't know. I suppose with me, it's I never put pressure on myself to say, right, you have to deliver another one. Like I like to just sort of tip away. I'll be making a cup of tea and I'll get an idea and I'll just sit down and write. So if that happens well and good, but I'm not, um, I'm just not putting any pressure on myself at the moment, you know, to try and knock out another one. I mean, yeah. I might sit down tomorrow and get a great idea, but if I don't, I'll just be waiting until, until I want to write something, I suppose. I'm, I suppose I'm lucky I'm at that stage now where if I don't want to do it, I don't, you know, I don't have to do it because I'm going contract year by year now. Cause like at the beginning, like when I signed my first book deal, it was a three book contract. I didn't know if I could ever write another one. Mm. I'd written one, but like, I honestly didn't know. And it was really real pressure now to write three, like one year, one year, one year, you know? So it was, it was a lot. How do you know when you have the second book, how do you know when it's the right fit that you want to pursue it further? It's hard. I don't like in the second one that I wrote, Oh, it's just, I was sitting there for days going, oh, am I going to write about it? And I think that's the worst thing. I think you need to know what you want to write about. And I've learned that, mm. you know, I want to write about a woman in her 40s or I want to write about a marriage that's breaking up or I want to, but like in my second book, I just did not know what I wanted to write about. I didn't even know if I wanted to be a writer. I just knew I'd done one. So I had to kind of just pretend I was in English class and make up a story. You know, I had to just kind of go, 
remember like you're in English and they'd say it was a stormy night off you go and write your story that was literally how um the other side of wonderful came about I just ended up sitting down and just having to write it but it, they're harder and, and now I really want to write about what I want to write about mm. so it actually probably does make it easier because you're invested in the theme you know what was the biggest thing you learned about yourself from this book that you you, you weren't aware of before you wrote the book that I still love dirty dancing <laughs> <laughs> Um, I don't know. I suppose it made me more aware of my friends who are kind of single and who would love to. There's nothing wrong with being single, by the way. That's not the point of this, but who would actually like to meet somebody and, and sort of share their lives with someone because you're kind of you can be flippant about it sometimes, you know, if someone's going, oh, you know, I can't meet anybody. But I think it's very important for people if they really would like to meet somebody to be able to meet somebody. But like I'm saying to you earlier, like I friends just will not go on Tinder and will not go on whatever the other all those dating apps. And we haven't gone. They haven't been to a pub in a year and a half. So I'm sort of aware of the loneliness on a different sort of scale that I might have been before. And Lex is not lonely. Lonely is probably the wrong word. Um just somebody who would really like to share their life with somebody. And it doesn't mean that you're not content or getting on grand and you're going out and you have a nice life, but you know, you would still love somebody to just, you know, I have a friend who says, I just love someone who wants to go to New York with me for the weekend. Cause like hmm. she'd be ringing us to go out and say, I can't the kids or, you know, there isn't, you know, when you're 20 and 30, there's always someone to go out with. But I think when you hit your forties, they become smaller and smaller. And then it gets to a stage where, well, there's no one to go out with on a Tuesday night at nine o'clock because, you know, most of my friends have kids and they're all in bed now. And so it's just, yeah, I suppose I've become a bit more aware of people who really do want to meet people and who can't. Yeah. That's funny you said that actually. I think it's, I think you can actually be happy in yourself and quite content with your life, but you want to share it. So it doesn't necessarily mean that you can either be somebody who's lonely or somebody who's very content being alone, doesn't want to meet anybody. I think there's like a middle ground where you can actually be happy and content, but you want to share that. I think what's missing is just a feeling of connection to somebody like in that kind of more intimate way that you can't give yourself. You have to have another person to do that. Yeah. That's exactly it. Yeah, that's exactly the word for that is. But yeah, that's exactly who Lexi Byrne is as well. You know, like there's nothing wrong with Lexi's life at all. And, and the fact that's kind of the reason why I said, no, she'll hold out for somebody who's who she really wants to be with. You know, mm-hmm. and, you know I, I, the theme of settling comes up a lot in, in this novel, you know, because Lexi sure Amory settled for Tom. And there is an awful lot of settling that goes on. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. But that wasn't for Lexi. She doesn't want the guy, you know, she had a boyfriend. And, you know, I think there's a line in the book where she says, you know, she thought they'd go to like Rome and Budapest. But instead, he's sitting at home in his vest. You know, that's not what she wants. She doesn't want a guy who's going to sit there and watch snooker all night. It's not enough for her. And that's okay to say that, you know, you know, grand. Yeah, she would. She had a man and she had a partner and she's someone to do things with. But if it's not the right person, Mm. what's the point? You know, I think just and that's why the age thing is so important in this book, because so many women just settle because time is against them. Yeah, no, it's a a nuanced thing. No right answer. But I think it's being aware of your current situation in life and how you really feel exactly yeah 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 and it's being honest with yourself i think yeah. and saying 
you know, yeah, I could absolutely go and meet a guy tomorrow and move in with him, but I'm kind of I'm happy. I'm, I'm happy, but like, what? you know, unless it's the right person, I'm not going to do it. You know, there's no point. But you're 39 and a half, you might be able to have kids. Well, I'm not going to have kids just because you're telling me that time is running out. You know, see, this is the thing as well about kids. Kids grow up, right? Kids, you know, women say, I won't get to push the baby and the baby and the baby. The baby is only a baby for a very short time. And then the baby becomes an adult and all the responsibility that goes with that. And I do think women are getting a little bit more, they're more aware now, I think, that it's not just about having the baby, you know, that it's, you know, because a lot of them say, well, I'll just have a baby on my own. It's only a baby for a couple of months, love, you know, and then it becomes a child and an adult yeah. and responsibilities. And, you know, your, you know, your time is taken up, making sure that they're OK and going to schools and blah, blah, blah. That awareness, that baby, that's why I hate that word. You know, you know she's never going to have a baby. That word annoys me. The baby. Yeah, it's yeah. I've never really thought about that. Yeah, that's, the that's connotation of it, though, Dennis, is like, you know, you know, it's a bit nursing and, you know, all this kind of really it sounds so sweet and so you know as if you're going to have the baby forever you know and it's not and i think sometimes when when women have babies on their own they don't realize the work that then becomes it's a two-person gig a lot of the time you know if you can because like i said the baby then becomes the teenager becomes the man you know becomes all all these other things so yeah i think that's why lexi is a bit aware that it's not just the baby yeah, and you can't control, like, for a healthy relationship, you can't control the, the, the child you're having as well. And oftentimes, yeah. I think you'll be confronted with a child that has character traits that are polar opposite to you, and maybe you haven't accepted before in yourself or somebody else. And it's challenging to actually love that about that child instead of trying to contort them into something they're not. Absolutely. So that's thing. Oh, completely. You know, I mean... You know, having children is not for everybody, though society will tell us that that's what women are here for, that we are supposed to have children. If you don't have children, you're not going to be a fully formed woman and you're going to regret it for the rest of your life. And what would you be without children? And and, and then, you know, you do see some women have children and they're just, wow, what? Like this, this is not what I thought this was going to be. Mm-hmm. You know, all consuming. It's It's full on. Yes, it's hugely rewarding for the vast majority of women and couples but there's also women and couples that just did not know what they were letting themselves in for and weren't read you know just didn't like different challenges that present themselves you know that's what i'm trying to say about the baby you know it's not any you know there's there's children come in all different packages and you know so but don't just expect to have this lovely baby because that's not what procreating is about you know there's I've lots of friends with lots of children with special needs and, and lots of difficulties and, and and you know there's there's so much more that goes into mothering than I think that I think that's why the conversation is interesting that you know it's not just you're missing out on the little baby that's I suppose my point yeah no it's good to have this it's good to have these conversations it's like I think for any genuine reward, there's like genuine sacrifices behind it as well that we might clearly see what the sacrifice is until we're actually in it. Exactly. Yeah. And if I ever, there's a few people pushing to do a sequel of this book and I've never done one. I don't know. I might. But if I do, um, Anne-Marie will most certainly have postpartum depression and, you know, we'll, we'll take that down a very different road of because a lot of the time it's like, I have to get pregnant, have to get pregnant, have to get pregnant. Oh my God, I got to get pregnant, can't get pregnant. Then the baby comes and it's like, 
I mean, postnatal yeah. depression is a physical, is a real thing, you know, but also when you think that this thing is going to make you, it's going to complete you, it's going to, you know, that's, that's not it at all. I think that would be an interesting book. And then with uh, Lexi's family as well, there to be challenges in that as well, like how that's going to move forward and stuff. So I think that would be... Just give me the title, Dennis. Just give me the title. Actually, for this book, did you think of the title afterwards, was it? Because it's a very specific title. Well, I suppose, no, I kind of knew that that she was going to be nearly 40 and that she was going to meet somebody that just blew her Mm. mind. Um, That's I kind of knew that going into it. Uh, I wasn't really sure how much baggage he was he was going to have. Um, but I, I just wanted, yeah, I just wanted her to meet somebody who she was mad about, you know, as yeah. as innocent as it sounds. Um, yeah, just wanted her to, you know, she's a, she's a nice person. She wants the best for everybody. You know, she's not greedy. She's not selfish. You know, she's just a genuinely nice woman who, uh, yeah, who's just a bloody romantic. Mm-hmm. That was a good book and enjoyed yeah. reading it and having this discussion as well. I was like laughing when you said, you said you read I was going, I wonder how we got on with that. <laughs> well, it's one of those things, push yourself outside your comfort zone. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't normally read uh, I yeah. suppose, romantic novels and stuff like that, but it yeah. does give me, I wouldn't have had this conversation today if I didn't read it. So, and yeah, I've learned things today that I wouldn't have learned if I didn't talk about this stuff. So oh, that's good. Really and we never did our short film um, podcast. Yeah, we should do that. Remember yeah. we, were saying we should do, um, we should do one of those again to chat about um, shorts. I haven't, I was going to make one during lockdown in a lockdown pub, but I just didn't, I didn't feel comfortable asking crew, even though they were, you know, the way you just feel responsible for like everyone's help was like early on in COVID and now okay. I'm ready and I didn't do it. I should have, because it was a great little script, but you know, maybe another time. Yeah, we should get you back to talk about that again. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So t- thanks. Uh, thanks again, Caroline. Thanks for chatting to us today and, uh, actually, where people find you online to get um, the book? So, well, the book you can get, um, it's obviously on Amazon.com, but it's in Eason's. Um, actually, Bookstation is a great place as well. It's a little cheaper. Um, mm-hmm. And then I'm on Instagram, Caroline Grace Cassidy, and I'm in between leaving Twitter and coming back to Twitter because I hate it as a platform. But yeah. um, it's kind of necessary when you're, when you're working in, in something like books um but instagram is great so yeah Caroline is it actually a part of the contract like with books that you're on these social platforms to advertise it then or? oh my god this this is actually another podcast i can't yeah, tell we you we can talk about that sort of thing. Oh i find that quite interesting as well it is a uh... in like when i started writing eight years ago to where i am now and what you have to do now as a writer is completely i did you have kira garrity on yeah well yeah, yeah. on the next episode she'll be a publisher so uh, I'll, I'll let you go now but you know kira i'm okay with social media because i i was an actress and i worked in tv shows and but kira's you know a lot more quieter on social media and like you're expected now to da, 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 it's just like i can't do that but um, well, we'll have a conversation about it again if you want. Actually, me and Kira could could come on and talk to you about it. It's hmm. fascinating what you're expected to do now as a writer, and if you don't, you can see the uh, the impact that it has. Yeah, it'd be interesting. I, I, I guess it's probably easier to be found as a writer through social media, but then mm-hmm. you've also got the flip side of that is that you actually have a presence 
to be a writer, I guess, than contract with publishers and stuff. But then yeah. I suppose you go on the self-publishing route, which is a bit more freedom. So well, you support. can, but, you know, like the likes of, you know, the big pub, pub or the bookshops, you know, they like to be tagged in things now. Yeah. And they like, you know, so the, there's all that, that, that none of that was there before. And, but anyway, like I say, yeah, it's another decision uh, for another day. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, thanks, Carolyn. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. So uh, until next time, have fun and enjoy the process.